get off your, let's say, A dollar sign, dollar sign, and work. Have you heard of this? This, this was a well-publicized comment recently from a famously rich person, and, and, and to protect her identity, we'll refer to his, her as K. Kardashian. You'll, you'll never guess who she is. <laughs> uh, so, so her comment was in response to a question about advice that she would give to women about being successful. And of course, there's obviously truth to, you know, work. Uh, but, but this idea that success is just a matter of not being lazy and working hard, this, is, this has been around a long time, right? This is a formula for success that just makes sense, especially if you get a head start in life. It's a formula that just makes sense if you followed this formula and it worked out just like everyone told you it would. So if it worked for me, it must work for everyone. It just makes sense, at least for those who didn't experience some of the struggles that, that so many people experience. Do you know who works hard? A single mom who's working two minimum wage jobs just to feed her kids. She works hard. Do you know who else works hard? Slaves. Some 40 million people in the world today who are enslaved work really hard, harder than any of us. And yet all of that hard work does not equal success or even freedom. Here's another formula. Fortune favors the brave or the bold, right? And of course, like so many things, it's true until it's not true. So we've been reading through the book of Ruth in the Bible. And if we're not careful in reading this book, we will read it as if our formula for success perfectly aligns with the message of this story. I mean, this is how we, we live life in general. Like our for, we, we read the world through our formulas. But if we do this, we're likely going to miss something about Ruth's reality. We're missing what the story is challenging and what the story is calling into question. We're missing that our, our, our common sense isn't everyone's common sense, right? Does that make sense? We have to learn to see things from another perspective. And this is the huge advantage of reading something like the Bible because it's written from a, a very different perspective, a different culture, a different land, a different time. So as a recap, the book of Ruth begins with the story going according to our common sense formulas, at least the common sense formulas of the day. A family leaves home, which you shouldn't ever do. They go to a country that they shouldn't go to because the people there are bad, especially the women there are bad, but they go anyway, and the two sons who are named sick and weak, they, they marry these foreign women anyway. And as we would expect things to go, everybody dies. At least all of the men die. Everything goes terribly wrong, obviously, because the formula says if you do these things, then these things will happen. And, and that's what happens. So only Naomi and her daughters-in-law remain. And common sense tells us that Naomi should return to her country and to her people and to her land and culture 
And the daughters-in-law should return to their people and their land and their culture. That's what, that's what the formula tells us. But Ruth, a woman from Moab, rejects that formula. She speaks and she becomes the voice of the most vulnerable. She speaks as the voice of the outsider who very rarely gets to speak. But more than that, she also speaks as the voice of God in this story, which is shocking and revolutionary. So out of a God-like love and a God-like loyalty to her mother-in-law, Ruth becomes an immigrant in a land that does not want her. So they return to Bethlehem, and gossip begins to spread because what a story. Naomi's back, but look who she's with. And so these two widows have to figure out how to survive in a world that is not built for them. So, continuing our story in Ruth chapter 2. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a prominent rich man of the family of Elimelech. Elimelech was Naomi's husband who died, and, and this relative's name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone who's, in whose eyes I find favor. And, and she said to her, go, my daughter. So she went. She came and gleaned in the field behind the harvesters. And as it happened, she came to the, to the part of the field that belonged to Boaz, as it happened. Uh, again, who was of the family of Elimelech. Okay, so just pause for a second. Because, um, because of our cultural formulas there's a good chance that we will, we will read this and we will see this as a moment when Ruth takes K. Kardashian's advice. She just gets up and she works, right? Like that's, that's what she needs to do. And, it, and it's good. And she's able to find food. But if we make this story primarily about individual work ethic or just work, hard work in general, we might be missing all the ways that the story is calling us to th- see things from a very different perspective. First, Ruth is a woman from Moab in a male-dominated society that is suspicious at best of immigrants. And so as she notes, wanting to work doesn't necessarily mean that someone will show her favor. Like she needs to go someplace where, where someone will allow her to work the field. And by work the field, I mean pick up the leftovers. Second, Ruth is a woman in a male-dominated society, and if we turn back only two chapters to the end of the book of Judges, we'll see that being a woman in a field is really dangerous. We would see that even during a worship festival with other people all around, women in a field can be abducted and taken away as prizes. Third, the harvest doesn't last long, which means that picking up the leftovers is a short-term act of survival. This is not a strategic plan for fortune. This is not a strategic plan for success. Gleaning is a seasonal job that pays minimum wage. So can you see at least some of the challenges and risks that are perhaps hard to see if we're looking at this only through our formulas? And if so, can we see the challenges and risks that women, immigrants, and people of color today still face in society when it comes to work and the formula of just don't be lazy? 
Working in the field doesn't mean the same thing for everybody because the field is not equal. And if those of us who are in positions of power and privilege can't see that, and if we can't talk about that, and if we can't do something to begin to change that, then Ruth and all those who are like Ruth are in more danger than any of us realize. This is being highlighted right now uh, with, the, um, with the detention of the American basketball player, Brittany Griner. Have you heard about this? She's one of the best basketball players in the world. She's an NCAA champion. She's a WNBA champion. She's a seven-time All-Star playing for the Phoenix Mercury. And in the off-season, she plays basketball in Russia. So after the U.S. imposed sanctions on Russia for invading Ukraine, she was arrested and is currently in a Russian prison with the possibility of being there for up to 10 years. But why was she in Russia in the first place? Like, that's sort of one of the questions that a lot of people are asking. I mean, LeBron James isn't playing basketball in Russia in the offseason. Steph Curry isn't playing basketball overseas in the offseason. Well, in part, that's because LeBron James makes $41 million from the Lakers. So he doesn't have to play in the offseason for money. Steph Curry makes $45 million in a single year to play basketball. Brittany Griner, however, is paid a professional basketball salary of $220,000, which, you know, for a lot of people is a lot of money, but if we're looking at this job, like, there's a huge disparity. Now, I know you're thinking, like, well, you can't compare anybody to LeBron James. Like, you can't compare anybody to Steph Curry. Okay, so let's make another comparison. The Phoenix Mercury are, sorry for all of you people who don't like sports, I know, <laughs> like I, I just had a conversation with several of you about how the, you don't like sports, so just try to follow along. Uh, so the Phoenix Mercury are owned by the same person who owns the Phoenix Suns, which is the, the professional men's basketball team. Uh, so, so Brittany Griner for the Mercury plays 32 minutes a game on average. She averages 20 points a game, and she's an all-star a seven-time All-Star, one of the best players in the league. Abdel Nader, who I'm sure we all know and love, plays about 10 minutes a game for the Phoenix Suns, averages two points, which is one basket a game. He will never be an All-Star. And this year, he's paid $2 million to play. So, comparing the two, Brittany Griner is... 1,000% more productive, I think. I'll have to ask my mom. <laughs> and yet one of the worst basketball players on the men's team is paid 1,000% more. And one of the unintended consequences of this is that Brittany Griner is now sitting in a prison in Russia. Ruth is a good person. Ruth is a hard worker. But because she is a woman and because she is a foreigner, working hard comes with the threat of rejection, it comes with the threat of harassment, it comes with the threat of violence. The field isn't equal. But for Ruth, at least, thankfully, she finds a field that will let her work. So continuing in verse 4. Just then Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to those harvesting, The Lord be with you. 
And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the workers, to whom does this young woman belong? What? <laughs> to whom does she belong? Are we allowed to read this today? So first of all, patriarchy. Second, this is a culture that is community-oriented, where people recognize that they belong to one another, that they're responsible for one another, that they're not just individuals floating around the world. So which is it? Is it sexism or is it caring community? And the answer, of course, is yes. <laughs> Unfortunately, like all of our cultures, all of our cultures, it's a tangled mess of our best and our worst. Maya and I were just recently talking to, to a woman from a, another country who has some of these dynamics in, in, in her culture. So, so we asked her what she thought about living here in the United States. And, um, and she said, I love that as a single woman here, I can do what I want. No one looks at me if I'm doing something on my own. No one thinks that's strange for me to do something on my own. On the other hand, she said, it's scary that if any number of things go wrong for me here, I could just as easily be homeless. There was somebody else there who was from a, another country who was like, yeah, that's, like, that's exactly my experience too. So it's great that no one looks at me differently, but it's not great that if something goes wrong, still no one will pay attention to me. So it's great that people don't look at me, but it's not great that people don't look at me. Which is again why it's important for us to see Ruth and to see her experience because she speaks and she acts and she subverts this long worn out formula of the patriarchy. Like she's the main character. She speaks and she acts in a way that subverts our long worn out formula of seeking maximum individual gain at the expense of everyone else. And so the, the servant who Boaz asked about, about Naomi says, she is the Moabite who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. So just in case you didn't catch this at first, the woman from Moab is from Moab. Like throughout this whole story, they can't stop saying the woman from Moab who is from Moab. Her identity regardless of all of the positive characteristics that she embodies, characteristics that are only usually embodied by God, her identity is dominated by her status as a foreigner, as an outsider, as someone who doesn't belong. The emphasis on Moab is an emphasis on suspicion. It's an emphasis on the stereotypes and prejudices alive basically anywhere this story is read. So the servant said about Ruth, she said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves. Let me, let me pick up the leftovers behind the harvest. So she came and she's been on her feet from early this morning until now without resting even a moment. Okay, so, so what formula do we apply to this? 
She's been on her feet from morning until now without resting a moment. Is this the glorious virtue of hard work? Yeah, sure. Or is this the injustice of a society that demands twice as much work for women and for immigrants? Is this the struggle in our society of people of color or anyone else who, who faces these risks and these challenges? Well, whatever our perspective might be, whatever formulas any of us tend to apply to life, in this story, are we able to see any of this differently? Are we able to see things not just from wherever we're standing in the field? Can we see Ruth? Can we see her standing on the margins or on the edges of the field, picking the leftovers? Can we see the people like Ruth who are standing on the margins or the edges of society just trying to survive? Can we see her as a powerful, capable woman of color? Can we see her for who she is? And can we see the unfair struggles that would punish her for any single moment of not being powerful or capable enough? Well, this morning, I thought we would read the entire chapter, <laughs> and we're on verse 7. So I could talk for another 20 minutes, or we could just wait till next week. How about that? Uh, and maybe that's a good thing. In, in, in our fast-moving culture, maybe moving at a slower pace can help us to pay attention. Maybe moving at a slower pace can help us to see a little bit more clearly what's happening around us and how others experience life. So, to be continued next week. Pray with me. Jesus, we pray that you'd help us to see one another. Help us to see you in our midst, to, to be able to put ourselves in, in other people's shoes. Help us to see differently so that we might be people who reflect your care, your compassion, your love, your willingness to put, put yourself in our place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.